We're in Galatians 5, 13 to 26. Please stand. Sorry. Sorry. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please be seated. Thank you so much, Randy and Martha. You know, imagine for a moment that you're running a company and you have hiring responsibility and you got to make two essential hires okay so you're going through resumes you're looking to make these hires and your company is so specific that there you know there's some specific training that's going to be needed and so you make the hires uh, they come on but one person is just not engaged you know they're attending but they're not grasping the the, the concepts they're not putting in the effort and uh, the end of the training comes that that person isn't implementing, you know, what you've asked them to do. Uh, they're just keeping the status quo. What would you do? Now, whether or not you would take kind of corrective action or let that person go, that's, that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. Is The point is you expected something to happen, right? You expected there to be growth, for there to be, you know, transformation and change for them to get these concepts and then to, to put them forward. And here... You knew that something isn't right, right? Now let's put that into our spiritual life. You know, if it was never growing, never changing, never transforming, then something wouldn't be right. At least it would be there, right? Something isn't right. And so we need some forward movement. We need some forward momentum. And over the last four weeks, we've been discussing the work of the Spirit. And so today is the, the last and, and final uh, message as we engage in this topic. And so we've come to the question, is what is the ongoing or progressive work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of His people? Here's the message. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives to make us more like Christ. We are to be different today than we were a year ago, than we were five years ago, than we were ten years ago. There should be this ongoing progressive work that, that is changing and transforming our lives. 
So we call this work lots of different words. You know, in, in Christianity, we have lots of different words for it. We call it spiritual formation. We call it discipleship. We call it Christ-likeness. We call it sanctification. Uh, sometimes a pursuit of holiness or becoming more like Christ. And so there's all these words, but they're really all synonymous and they're describing the ongoing pursuit of transforma- transformation and life change that accompanies saving faith. There's a change, there's a real change that happens by being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. He is the one that is at work in our lives and all that is good comes from Him. The theologian Wayne Grudem defines sanctification like this. He says, Sanctification is the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. The key is that it's, like, it's, it's ongoing, right? And, and I love that phrase. He says, in your actual lives. So it's not like some, some concept, a spiritual concept that, you know, theoretically will, you know, make change in your life or do something different. But in your actual life, sanctification should transform you and change you and make you more like Jesus, different today than you were yesterday. And it's the ongoing process. It's the ongoing process that we get to be a part of. The process starts when we surrender to Jesus for the very first time. We call that conversion, right? There's moral change that happens when we are regenerated. Or another phrase, you know, from John 3 is that we are born again. There's this new life that happens. And then there's the power of the Holy Spirit whose indwelling presence should change you. So it's that That's the very beginning, okay, right? That's the beginning of sanctification. There's a pursuit of holiness. You know, a lot of that that word sanctification comes from the word to sanctify or to set apart. And so you see that word like holiness, sanctify, separate. We're beginning to look like Christ. We're beginning to look more like him. We're becoming more like him. We're we're transforming in in our real, actual lives. Not just head knowledge that we know about things, we know things about Jesus, but our lives change. So, here's what it is. In one time of your life, your life was going in a certain direction, you were going in a certain path, and now you're going in a whole new way. You could say, you know, like, I I, I see things differently now. I'm going in a different path. That's the direction. So, here, if you get one thing from from today, this is what I want you to do, to get, is that your pursuit of holiness should be the normative Christian experience. It should be normal for the church of God to come together and to pursue Christ-likeness, pursue holiness, to be different than we were before. There's never a time when we have arrived, and I think that gives us great hope. It gives me great hope, great hope for people like me that that need the work of God in, in our lives. It gives time for God to identify areas in our lives, areas of sin, and, and begin to transform us and change us. And, uh, and we give it over to him. And so, and so we come to our text this morning. And so and what, what Paul is talking about in this book of Galatians is this fruit that comes from our lives, that, that, that comes not from us, not from inside, but from God. 
Now, there were some in the early church, even in, in this area of Galatians, that were very thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to save them. But after conversion, they were kind of like, I'm going to go about my own business and do the rest myself. Thank you very much. And Paul in Galatians 3, uh, kind of a, as a, maybe a precursor to this idea, Paul in Galatians 3, he says this, verse 2, he says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so his answer is assumed. He says, well, not by the works of the law. I actually did it by faith. So, so he follows up with another question. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so what he's saying is that in the same way that we, you know, we come to saving faith by Jesus, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but through faith, you know, we now, our progressive work, how we get changed, how we become different, happens by that same faith, by that same power of God. It's not our responsibility, you know, like, to do it ourselves. You know, we thank you, God, for salvation, and then I'm going to do it myself. No, there, it continues. And so, um, going to our passage, you know, in the very beginning, verse 13 says, you know, there's there this old way that we were following where we were in bondage to sin, you know, bondage to death, but now there's freedom. There's freedom in new life, and we're called to freedom and called to transform. Now, all throughout the scripture, there's these clear commands that have been given to us, right? Clear commands about holiness and Christlikeness and, and things that we should do. I mean, for example, two of them, you know, Romans 8, you know, describes we should be putting to death sin, right? Put it to death. Okay, we need to do that. Uh, Colossians 3, put on, you know, Christ-like character. Okay, I got to do that. Put to death, you know, sin. Put on Christ-like character. And sometimes, you know, maybe in, in your life or a caricature of what the church is like, you would say that the church really is all about rules. It's all about conformity to the rules. Do the things. Live the rules. Follow the rules. Don't you know good Christians don't do that? They do this right? It can feel that way from the outside of, if we don't understand that what God is really looking at is this, this inward change, this inward transformation of the heart where we, where we become more like Him. And so that can really be our biggest problem, can't it? It's because rote obedience to the law, whether it's from the Bible or from somebody else giving you the law or you in your own heart, doesn't change you. The Spirit of God changes you. And so Paul, um, Paul here in Galatians 5, you know, he talks about this. There's this whole argument that he's doing. And in verse 16, he says, you know, we're going to walk by the Spirit, and you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. F.F. Bruce just describes it like this. He says, walk by the Spirit. He, he, he says, let your conduct be directed by the Spirit. Right? That's what, we're, well, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be surrendering and allowing that conduct to be directed by God. He, he says this, No external force or sanction can compel the loving, the loving of a neighbor as oneself, as such love must be generated from within by the Spirit. And so wait a second, wait a second. What we need to realize that it's not just about following the rules or doing it yourself. Okay, so then what keeps us from, you know, gratifying every whim and every desire that we have? Is it more law? Um, let me ask you the question. 
do rules alone really help guide your heart to be and your desires to be more like Christ? You know, uh, if you have ever worked with a young person, is working with young people, giving them more rules and more law, does it change their heart? Does it change what's going on? No, no, it doesn't. We know that from experience and from the Scripture. The Spirit of God is the one that does this. We can't set enough rules or boundaries or anything like that for ourselves to change our hearts. And so what do we do? You know, one option is we kind of go through the motions a little bit. We make people think that, you know, actually, you know, Brian's a really good Christian guy. Like, he's, he's doing it. He's following the rules. And I could hoodwink a bunch of people because, you know, in the, in the church, we begin to, like, know the right words to say. We do the right things. And so as opposed to actually having true transformation, transformation of the heart, sometimes we just go through the motions. We even convince others and we can convince ourselves. And so sometimes, you know, it kind of it can play itself out in different ways. When I, uh, when I w- first came to know the Lord, I, I really struggled. All my friends were kind of going down one path. It was like, okay, well, do I continue to go down that path with them? And, and my answer was no, I, I can't. My life is, is wholly different than that. I want to go down a different path. And so, you know, you begin to set rules, even good rules, right? I'm not going to do that anymore. And you set, and you set that rule. But a rule doesn't change. Like, ultimately, what we need is not just the transformation of kind of like, or sorry, all all what we don't need, we don't need is just like, okay, I'm just going to follow these rules, and now from now I'm doing it. No, what we're after is something that happens in our hearts where it's like, you know what, it's not that I don't desire to, I'm not escaping the world, I'm not trying to, you know, self-medicate, I'm not going down addictive patterns anymore. I've actually found a better way that transforms my heart. And so there's, there's separation that happens when we follow Jesus, right? But separation alone doesn't change the human heart. I'll say it again. I've been saying it over and over so it kind of gets down into the core of who we are. The regenerative, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives produces new life. The Bible calls it fruit, Fruit is produced by God in our lives. And this is one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. You know, I I really do think that this, you know, over the last number of weeks, we've been talking a little bit with Pastor Austin about, you know, like, what's the difference between, you know, like a really kind and generous atheist and a Christ follower? Is there really, like, something different? And and, and what I've kind of understood from this passage is that, you know, no matter how hard the atheist tries, all his, his good, all the things that are good are drawing from within, drawing from himself. The originator is human. It's different, though, in kind. The fruit that we're talking about here comes from the Spirit of God as we actively surrender to that process and participate in the process of becoming more like Christ. So we've been kind of looking at this theme of, of the law, the Christian and the law. What, is, what, what, do we, what do we do with that? And Paul here is saying that life in the Spirit is the answer both to the rule-making legalist and to the kind of like the free-flowing libertine. 
the law is fulfilled in a word. It's, it's, it's love, right? It's, it's joy. It's peace. Those things flow from the Spirit of God and change us. The Spirit of God is renewing and separating us from the ways of the world. And the law has no role in producing this behavior. Ultimately, Ultimately, if it's done by the law, what it produces is a, a type of moralism, a type of, you know, like the, these are the rules and this is what we follow. I was talking, uh, I had the privilege of, of visiting uh, Gerd Rorvik, one of our older members was in, in the hospital, and I would, we were talking about the sermon. I was like, I'm preaching, what do you think? And she said, she goes, man, prayer, prayer. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because what she was, what we, the conversation happened is that really prayer and surrender are so uniquely connected because as we pray and what we're doing is we're modeling our surrender and reliance upon God. We cry out. He gives us new perspective. We change. We become more like Christ. And so in the text, if you see uh, two things that just, just like really jumped out at me is in, in verse 19, if you look at like the, the, you know, some people call these kind of like the anti-works of, this, of, of uh, that, that are happening, the anti-works. And it says, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then if you look further down, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. And so here's kind of like what I'm trying to say is that, the work comes from the flesh, and it produces these things. But fruit comes from God, and then is played out in our lives. One, like it really does matter where it comes from. So maybe a better question isn't, how do I do kind of like all the spiritual things, but how do I surrender to the fruit that the Spirit is producing in my life? It doesn't mean that the law isn't there anymore. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, like null and void. But because of the empowerment of the Spirit, it allows you to keep far greater than the law could ever even dictate. The law could never be followed. And so it's been superseded by the Spirit of God. The old moral code came from the law. Right? We, we, we follow that. We're going, to be, we're going to be reading it in our catechism. We're going to be thinking about the old moral code. It's, it's, it's good. It's right. But now there's a new, new law that comes from the Spirit of God in our life. The law is no longer an, an, an effort, you know, following that after that because there's transform, transformation in your heart. There's spiritual power given by God to do what we need to do. And I don't think we talk about this enough in the church. You know, you've been called, think of all the things that have happened. You've been called out of darkness. You've been given new life. You've been given the Spirit of God to take, you know, to, to empower you for that life. But sometimes we still battle as those who have just been defeated. And so what we can be reminded this morning is that we're not, we're not defeated, but we have been given the power of God to live godly life. So the best part, I think, is in verse 18. If you look at verse 18, he says, but, it, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Because by the flesh, it's impossible to keep the law, but by the, by, but, but by the Spirit, God empowers you. He empowers you. 
So we don't live defeatist lives. And, and honestly, this is probably the most encouraging part of being a pastor, is getting to hear people's stories of life change and transformation. Getting to hear people say, you know, like, I, I was going down this path, and God convicted me. I surrendered that. I, I gave it over to the Lord, and now I'm living my life differently. I mean, that's one of the most encouraging things in church. Like, we can share those stories and, and, and share lots of stories about transformation. We should be very comfortable with talking about our, our sin because when we do that, what it's really showing other people is that, you know, like, I'm, 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 I'm sinful, but I'm saved by grace. And God is transforming and changing me. You know, there's no law against the fruit of the Spirit, right? You know, imagine if you're living this. Verse 22, very famous passage, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's a, that's a, that's a curious phrase. Why is there no law against that goodness? goodness. Well, it's because the law really has nothing to do when the Spirit is at rule in your life. Or N.T. Wright says it like this, which I really appreciated. He said, wouldn't the law be pleased if you lived your life like this? You know, like, the law would just be happy because you're living out love and joy and peace and patience and like, you're surrendering to the Spirit and being empowered by Him to do the things that we need to do. And so the Spirit of God produces this fruit. So this is the new way in the Spirit, right, that happens. He produces this fruit in our lives. And yet, unfortunately, the old way has its own kind of outcomes, right? If you look at these kind of anti-works in, in verses 19 and beyond, the works of the flesh are obvious. And that word obvious also means like they're self-evident. They're well-known. People know them. In fact, you know them. And this isn't some kind of like exhaustive list. I, I think neither are necessarily exhaustive lists. That's not the point of what they are. But they're descriptors of a life that desires to be outside of the kingdom. The word flesh or sarks is best understood as that part of us that's connected to the sin nature. If you read the NIV, NIV translates it as sin nature. So it's true to talk about our flesh and the Spirit of God in this big contrast of one another. So our sinful nature kind of courts the flesh, right? They're like together, they're working, they're giving in to its desires and its whims. And it's that part of us that stands contrary to God that must continue to be put to death. It's important to note, too, I think this can be really a holdup for people who are really, kind of really nervous about their sin and not realizing how much God has forgiven us. If you look at the phrase at the end, he said, at the end of the list, he says, "...in these things I warn you," I'm in verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean? Like what, what he means is that those who make a regular practice of doing these things, who are sowing that flesh, sowing that seed, are going to reap its benefits. 
The only other time that this word is used in the exact same form is by Paul in Romans 1, uh, verse 32, when he talks about, and he describes those who've been given over to a debased mind. And so it's, it's key to understand that those are the things that drive you, that, that regular practice of doing. Romans 8, 13 says this. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? How simple is that? How simple is it? Live according to the flesh? You do those things? You're going to die. You're not going to have life. But if you put those to death and you live by the Spirit, you're going to have life and life eternal. And and I was was starting to think about, don't you know, don't you really know when you're sowing to the flesh? You know, don't you know when you're going down? Okay, you got two decisions, right? Two decisions down a path. Don't you know when it's like, man, that path is definitely going to lead me down towards like selfishness or myself. This one is, is about death to self and, and, and death to my, to my own kind of like uh, desires and whims. I think it's really self-evident in some ways. And that's what the, the, the text says as well. And so verse 24 is so key for us as we understand this. So he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so it's death that brings forth life for us. The fruit comes from the Spirit when we belong to Christ. So our old self, the desires of the flesh, have died. The cross severed that relationship to the flesh. And now in the Spirit, we have the results of that new relationship. So one one relationship that we had to the flesh is cut off. It's severed because of the cross. We put it to death. And now what do we have? We have fruit because it comes from the Spirit of God. So it's really only as we live in this crucified form do we exude the characteristics of Christ. We we die. We die. We talk about it. We talk about our sin. We confess it. We surrender. And then we, and then we live the newness of life. We live the fruit of the Spirit because it comes from God. I think this is really one reason why it's good to tell yourself no sometimes. Maybe more than sometimes. It's good to say no It's good to say no even to like earthly pleasures at times to remind us that we are to die, die to self and to live, live to new life. So we have to hold these two ideas in tension and the ideas that we have to hold in tension are that our sanctification is never going to be completed, right? We are going to be working at this. It's always going to be ongoing. But the other idea is that sin is not going to have dominion over us. And so we have to live in that, in that kind of reality. I'm, I'm going to always be working it out, but sin is not have dominion. Like, we, we have power to defeat and to surrender. And so I go, kind of go back to my, my, my main point. I said, like, this is, this is the most important. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your life to make you more holy. Are you, in, are you engaging in that process with him? 
that's what we can do. It's like you kind of wonder, you know, you, you wake up tomorrow, what am I supposed to do tomorrow? You can do lots of things, but pursue Christ. <laughs> pursue being more holy, more like him. Paul in Romans 5 says, and, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And there's this, there's this joy of the Holy Spirit that poured right into our hearts that we can know him. And unfortunately, there's no shortcuts to sanctification. Wouldn't it be good if there were? Wouldn't it be good if the same struggles and hurts and, and things that you dealt with earlier in life, you could just, you know, wave, wave a magic wand or snap your fingers and, and take that, that shortcut to sanctification? But God's process is ongoing, and it's slow, and it works, and he's, he's in no rush. And some of us, you know, like when we first come to Christ, he takes like, you know, imagine like a big, a big file, you know, you know, file off the rough, the rough edges, and then slowly begins to shape it and form it and mold it, make it and polish. Some of you, some of you saints, you know, you're in the polishing stage, and you're, and you're, you're getting ready. And that's the joy, because we're masterpiece created by God. It involves death and new life. It's the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's exactly what Paul says in Philippians 2. You know, he says, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The interesting part is that none of this is done in a vacuum. You know, like this, this type of sermon isn't just like, okay, this is for me. I'm going to quietly live the rest of my days following after the Lord and becoming more like Christ alone. No. Please notice that five times, even in this short passage, there's some of these one another's of, of that, that are always used. Here he says, you know, for we are called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, in verse 13. But through love, serve one another. And then another time in 15, um, twice in 15, and then at the end of the passage in verse 26. So why is this important? This, this passage is also about our heart for other people. This is directly related to the way people treat one another. You know, walking with the Spirit is not this move towards spiritual individualism, but I think Paul is bookending this teaching, you know, in, in verse 13, and then also in, in verse, verse 26, he's bookending it to tell us that, that we're called to live also with one another. It's essentially a communal or corporate movement. The Spirit fills, we follow. It affects our relationships, our change. We care for one another, church family. You live out these, these, these fruits that God, God does because they're relational. The community flourishes and grows as the Spirit pours out His fruit on a congregation. Or the community is torn down because we're reaping the flesh. And so Jesus really is the answer to our brokenness. I know when I find myself defending my actions or my thoughts or my attitudes or whatever it might be, surrender. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to transform you. Those who are called out of darkness are called to new life to be productive and not destructive. And so we're building one another up. And this new productivity is now we're able to be kept 
in line with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. That's how he finishes out in verse, verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so that, that, that idea is battle formation. Think of like straight lines of, of, of men going to battle. That's this word. It means that like we're supposed to be united to one another and united to the Spirit of God, linking arms and following after Jesus, becoming more holy. Okay, remember the, the, the story in the very beginning of the two employees. And so here's what I want. As you've been engaging this morning, you, you know, kind of realize, hey, I'm really more similar to that, employ- to that guy that, that never, never did anything, never changed, never transformed. Well, guess what? There is new life. There is surrender. Confess your sin. Crucify the old self. Become like Christ. If you're one of the older ones, you're like, yeah, I'm getting it. I'm walking with Christ. I'm becoming more like him. Well, bring others along too. Draw, into, draw others into community and connections, and let's pursue holiness together as a church. I wonder, from a year, a year from now, are we going to be a more holy church? What's it going to be like? Will we get to do that together? Let's follow Christ together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the new life that we have in you. Thank you that you empower us, God, to live in the newness of life. God, you have given us the Holy Spirit. This fruit comes from you. Uh, Lord, it does not come from us. We don't pull ourselves up by our, by our bootstraps. We don't, you know, try, try, try. God, we surrender and then we engage with you in that process. Lord, we become more like you. And so, Lord, would you live and give us that, that fruit in our lives. May we be a church that's living the fruit of the Spirit that comes from you, empowered by you. So we thank you so very much for your Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.